Well, amen, and good morning, church family, whether you're in the sanctuary or online. We're so grateful to be able to worship with you in that Advent reading. You heard that we have reason to sing. I know we've learned that song in the Advent season, but I hope we sing it forever and ever. I love that song. It tells the gospel story. And I love that little line in there that reminds us that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that it's recorded, I think, only in Matthew's gospel, that some other tombs there in Jerusalem were, were opened up and some bodies were raised as a, as a foretaste of coming attractions in Christ. When Christ comes again, all who are dead in Christ will be raised up, which means we have a story to tell the world, that there's a way that they can conquer death and have life everlasting and that story is a part of the Christmas story, and so I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 2, and as you're turning there, or thinking about turning there, I want to, want to open with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? God, we, we give you praise for the gospel, and that Jesus came, and the God of life laid down His life so that we could be raised up and have a share in it. We give you praise that Jesus came at Christmas, right on time, just as promised. And Lord, we give you praise that we have a story to tell. Uh, We ask God that you would loosen our lips in 2021, that you would give us liberty and boldness and courage to make known the glorious truths of the gospel, that there is a way to conquer death, not in our own strength, our own power, but through faith in the Almighty faith in the living Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Church, I'm here to tell you, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to be. I'm here to tell you that we, we have reason to hope, that hope is here because we have a story to tell. Hope is here because we have a story to tell. You know, uh, the world is full of, of interesting stories, compelling stories. One of the stories that we most enjoy, I, I think, in in today's era is that of a birth announcement. You know, it's easy on social media with Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're, where you're, you camp out in social media world. If someone has a child, what do they do? They snap 7,000 pictures of their kid, and about 6,099 of them look hideous, right? But they find that one where the kid looks kind of cute, and they, they, may, they turn it into a birth announcement, and it's on Instagram and Facebook, and they put the digits on there, you know, the time and the date and the name and the length and the weight, and woo, everybody's happy. Word, word travels quickly. It hasn't always been so easy, right? Do y'all, for those of you who are old enough to remember the Geico commercial, uh, when, when Bob, and I don't remember his wife's name, but Bob and his wife, they, they had a baby. You remember Bob who had a baby, and he wanted to, I think, notify his parents who couldn't be there with them, and so... What did he do? He made a collect call. This is back before smartphones, right, and, and free. You know, you could call anywhere essentially for free, right? It's all included in the plan. It didn't used to be that way. You actually had to go to your wall and pick up a phone, and then you had to pay extra. You had to have a long-distance rider on your plan. Well, they're there at the hospital. They don't have their card to put in their digits, so they, gotta, they call collect. Now, calling collect, you're asking the person receiving your phone call to pay for the cost of the call. And before you decide, as the receiver of that call, whether you're going to take the call or not, the person has to tell you who's calling. And so Bob is pretty cheap, right? And the point of the commercial is to get Geico because it's cheaper, it's more affordable, and maybe you won't have to call your parents collect when you have a baby, right? So Bob 
has a baby, and he calls, and the operator says, well, can I, you know, i got to tell him who's calling. He says, first name, Bob, last name, had a baby, eats a boy. <laughs> so Bob had a baby, eats a boy, and then dad gets the phone, and he says, hello, we got a collect call. Well, who's it from? Bob, had a baby, eats a boy. Do you want to take the call? Nope, click. Hey, honey, Bob, had a baby, it's a boy. <laughs> Birth announcements are fun. Uh, babies come into the world, it's, it's, a, it's a reason to celebrate, it's something to announce, but we're, what we're going to consider this morning is the, the one-of-a-kind birth announcement for the one-of-a-kind baby who was sent to a world in darkness, a world in desperate need of a Savior. Would you hear with me the word of God, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel? In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. I'll just pause there. 2020 could use some good news of great joy, and we have it, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. Then the shepherds, excuse me, then when the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they'd seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed about the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all the things, pondering them in her heart and The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. As we examine this passage today, there's more in it than I'm going to be able to communicate in the next 25 or so minutes. And so I want to make one point that's not the primary point, and then we'll dive into the message. And the the point before the main points are this. If you look at verse 8, the shepherds are doing what? They're keeping sheep. If you look at verse 20, what do they do? They go back to keep sheep. Jesus came, He came to change our lives and to to give us a reason to worship. The only difference between verse 8 and verse 20 is they go back to what they were doing with a whole new perspective on life. They go back glorifying and praising God. So just just because Jesus came doesn't mean everybody has to be a pastor or everybody has to become a a vocational ministry, although I, I pray God would call many of us to do that. But we are all called to be missionaries. We're all called to share the gospel, which we'll see in the the life of the shepherds here in just a moment, but they go back to being shepherds. They've just been transformed in their perspective. Now they have a reason to praise God, to glorify God. They know that God has kept His promises. So whether you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, you can have joy and purpose in the work that God has called you to do because of Christmas. Now, what I want to share with you today is primarily that we have reason to hope, that hope is here because we have a story to tell. We have good news of great joy. But the, to, to be able to share the story, to be able to have the hope of the story, the first thing you've got to do is hear the story. It's not enough to know that there's a story out there. Somebody's got to tell you to it, right? Tell you the story, right? 
And so the, the good news that I have for you first this morning is that God gloriously brings His message to the most unlikely candidates. He gloriously brings His message to the most unlikely candidates. We see this in the, in the shepherds being the ones to hear the story of Jesus' birth. They're, they're out in the same region as where Jesus was born. In other words, in fields in proximity to Bethlehem. Now, do you remember the story of a little boy, the eighth born of Jesse, who was just a shepherd boy born in Bethlehem, who grew up to sling a stone and slay the enemies of God's people and then became king over Israel. It was so unlikely that David would be the king of God's people. How would David, this little shepherd boy, the eighth born, everybody overlooked him, how would he be the king of Israel? And yet God did it. And I'm here to tell you, in the fields near Bethlehem, God was doing the unexpected all over again. And He was doing it in an eternally greater way. This time, God Himself had come down to be God's sacrificial lamb. He came down to take the towering enemies that were facing us, our sin and our pride and our self-importance, and to crucify it, and to crucify uh, our our tendency to glorify self rather than to glorify God and to remove from us the penalty of death and hell and the grave. And Jesus came down to do it all in one amazing shot by taking the blows that should have been for us on Himself. God chose to rescue the world by coming as a baby born to poor parents in Bethlehem. He came down and when God comes down, it turns the world upside down. It wouldn't be the powerful and the proud and the self-important who would be able to hear God's message. It would be the weak and the lame and the poor and the sick and the outcast and the leper and the hungry and the tired who could actually hear that God was doing something amazing in the world. Paul summarizes this principle in 1 Corinthians 27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and He chose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. We see that principle working in this heavenly announcement coming to the shepherds. In Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, shepherds were detested. They ranked right up there with tax collectors. In fact, one rabbi said this, writing in the 3rd century, Rome was still in power at the time, there's no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. So God sends an angel of the Lord, a messenger from heaven of course he does, right? To shepherds. Not to Rome or Jerusalem, not to rulers or religious authorities, but to shepherds. In verse 8, Luke tells us the shepherds are working outside and in the dark. These are, these are third shift workers outside of the mainstream of society. Luke includes these details because God's message is intended for outsiders. His message is meant to reach people who are spiritually speaking, working in the dark of night. All around us, there are, there are people like the shepherds, people who are at the margins of society, people who are overlooked, people who think they've been forgotten, people who think they don't have hope. They're toiling, sometimes literally, in the night. And all of them, spiritually speaking, are laboring in darkness. And God has a message for the outsiders and those who are working in the night. 
Did not Jesus say it's the healthy who need a doctor? Not the healthy, excuse me, not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Church, when you realize that there's got to be something greater than just you and your next gadget or gizmo or fancy Christmas present under the tree or your next home improvement project or the, the next 10,000 added to your 403B or your 401K or having a nice life and enjoying life on your terms, when you realize there's got to be something more than all of that, you are not far from the kingdom of God. When you begin to understand that you're weak and you're tired and you're feeble and you're sick, unless God does something for you, you are close to the kingdom of God. And the doctor's office is open. It is open to all who recognize that apart from Jesus, they are broken, they are lonely, they are sinful, and they are sick. Look at what happens next in those pitch black fields near Bethlehem. I mean, have you thought about how dark it must have been? Like, we can't comprehend the darkness of the ancient world. We've got artificial ambient lighting everywhere, but in, in the ancient world, there was nothing. It's, it's rural Bethlehem. Total darkness. And the angels stood before them. And the brightness, the glory, the splendor, the word there means the brightness or the splendor of the Lord shone around them. God's glory was not in some veil in a temple hidden from man in Jerusalem anymore. It was right there in their midst in the darkness. God, the, the light of God had come. It wasn't there with the priests. It wasn't with the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin. It was right there with the outcasts, the lowly shepherds. And the shepherds, just like you and I would have been if suddenly a bright light appeared to us in the middle of pitch black darkness with a heavenly messenger of God, they were, verse 9, terribly frightened. The Greek here is, is telling, literally it says they feared a great fear. They were doubly afraid. Fear is an appropriate response, by the way, to God's glory. When God displayed His glory on Mount Sinai, the people of God trembled with fear. Exodus 20:18. when Moses wanted to see God's glory, God hid him in the cleft of a rock and allowed him to see sort of the backside of his glory. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. But when Jesus came, we could stare into the face of God and live. And so, the shepherds are told to not be afraid. A different day had come. The day that Isaiah told us was coming had come. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walk in darkness like the shepherds will see a great light. It would be a day of gladness, Isaiah goes on to say, that would come from being in the glorious presence of of God. And so the shepherds are not in trouble. They don't need to tremble and be afraid because the tables have been turned. God has come on a rescue mission. In the, in the temple precincts, the religious leaders have mostly taken God's presence for granted and disregarded it. But the shepherds rightly tremble before the glorious presence of God and then they are given a message of hope and deployed as God's first messengers. It's the lowly and despised shepherds, people who would have been ignored in society, who were made the very first ambassadors of King Jesus. They receive a message of good news, of great joy for all the people. Now the word the people is important here. It means it's available 
to all, it's, it's offered to all, but the people means those who repent of their sin and, and trust in God. It's not good news of great joy unless you recognize you're in darkness and you need the light of the gospel. That's when it becomes good news. So the question that is posed this morning for those in this room and online is, is have you received the good news? Have you, have you heard it? And if not, will you, like the shepherds, understand that the coming of Jesus is a a message of good news and great joy? Will you turn from your sin and death and darkness and embrace the light of God? Peter tells us this, once you were not a people, you were not a people who was going to last. You were not made for the new heavens and the new earth, but Jesus came down once you had not received mercy, but now because of Jesus, you can receive mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus came to absorb all of that and instead give you His life so you could get what you don't deserve, which is grace. You could get the gift of God. So the question that I have for each of us is, have you received the message? Which brings us to our second point. Uh, I'm so concerned that there's a world full of people who've heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel. It's almost like they've become inoculated to the gospel. Yeah, I've heard that story a hundred times, but you've never really embraced it in your heart. And there's a danger that you can hear the gospel and hear the gospel and hear the gospel and say, well, I'll repent next week. I'll repent next week. Well, maybe next year, but I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to live my life. And then I'm going to, on my timeline, I'm going to be Lord of my life for my entire life until yeah, then I'll get a little Jesus into my life when I want to. It will never happen. You're always going to think there's the next opportunity, there's the next day. Don't be inoculated against the gospel. Embrace the gospel and let God change you from the inside out. Don't get a, don't get a vaccine to the gospel. Hear the gospel. Repent and believe and let God change your life. Which is what we see next in the text of Scripture, verses 10 through 16, we've got to receive the message as good news that the Lord has come to be Savior and King. Notice the heavenly message is a a personal message. It is for you. It is for you shepherds. It is for you church. It is for the people who hear the message. If you get to hear the message, then guess what? God's bringing you a message for you to hear because He wants you to repent and believe on His Son. To this day, God has a message that pierces the darkness and brings great joy. And the message is this, that Jesus is Savior and He is the Messiah Lord or Christ the Lord. Now I'm going to get a little bit technical this morning, forgive me for that. But in the Greek, both the words Christ and Lord are in the nominative case, which means they're they're the subject. And this is important because what Luke is telling us is that Jesus is not just the anointed King, He is also Lord Himself. So he is the king sent by the Lord, and he is also the Lord. Now there's a lot of people who say, well, Jesus wasn't really God. Luke, right here in chapter 2, verse 11, says the Messiah is the Lord, Yahweh. It's right there, okay? And you can find it in Colossians 1 and Philippians 2 and Hebrews 1. It's all over the Bible. Jesus is God. If you don't think Jesus is God, well, how does he forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin, and the Pharisees knew that, which is why they thought that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And if He's not God in the flesh, then we don't have salvation because only God can give us the righteousness of God. All right, that was just a sideline. But Does that make sense? Everybody got that? The only way you can be right with God is if God makes you right with God because He's the only one who has the righteousness that God requires that He can give to you through the gift of Jesus. So if Jesus isn't God, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and we should shut this down and go home and eat, drink, and be merry 
for tomorrow we die. All right. The glory of God has come to be born in Bethlehem as a Savior to save us from dreading His holy presence and move us into delighting in Him. And you would think, God has come to earth. What's going to be the sign? I mean, is it going to be a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Is it going to be the parting of the Red Sea? Is it going to be an earthquake? I mean, God's going to do something amazing. It's going to get everybody's attention. And then in verse 12, this is going to be the sign to you. It's going to be a baby. And you'll know that his mom loves him because she's going to swaddle him. Right? And not only that she loves him, but she loves sleep. We were swaddlers in the Palmer household. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because we wanted to have a silent night. Right? The only way they got a silent night was somebody swaddled up Jesus and he went to sleep and stopped crying. So, shepherds, you're going to go to Bethlehem and you're going to find a mom who loves her baby and values her sleep. Look for a baby wrapped up in cloth and lying in a feed trough. God who made everything came as the most vulnerable thing there is. A newborn baby born to teenage parents who had not yet consummated their marriage and had no explanation for why they had a baby being born. None that anybody would believe anyway. There in Bethlehem, where extended families converge for Caesar's census, a, a most unlikely baby was born. The odd makers would have never picked Jesus as the rival king to Caesar or a savior of an oppressed people. Caesar's decree had gone out to all the inhabited earth. He paid all his emissaries to take the message to the ends of the earth. You've got to go back to the city of your forefathers, and yet God the sovereign God was at work in all of this to bring an even greater king into the earth to rescue us. The true king had come. In verse 13, we read of the sudden appearance of a multitude of angels, a, a great army of angels regimented and marshaled for the praise and the purposes of God. They just show up so we know it's God at work. In verse 14, they announce Jesus' birth has implications, not just in Bethlehem, not just in Jerusalem, but in heaven and on earth. The maker of heaven and earth had come to earth in order that God would be glorified all over the world and that people could have peace with God. Not just here in Roanoke, not just in Jerusalem, not just in little places here and there, but until every tribe and tongue and language and nation, every color, every background, every income level, had heard the gospel, repented and believed, and had peace with God, forgiveness of sins, and joy that the darkest dark cannot steal. The angels rejoice in the gift of Jesus to bring glory to God and peace to sinners. This is, this is not the last time that the angels will rejoice, right? It's a preview of coming attractions. The angels come. So one angel comes and gives the message. Then there's this army of angels. They're rejoicing that God's going to be glorified. The, the sun will be glorified. There will be peace available across the whole planet. And then do you remember what happens in Jesus' ministry in Luke 15? Just a few chapters after this. You remember the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep? And the rejoicing over the, the coin that is found, or the, the sheep that is found, the, the one who leaves the 99 and saves the one. And, and in the middle of those parables, do you remember 
what Jesus says. He says, I tell you this, there is joy in the presence of the angels of, of God over one sinner who repents. The angels, like they rejoiced in the fields outside of Bethlehem because the baby had come, rejoiced just the same for everyone who repents and is born again because Jesus came for them. So in verse 15, the shepherds have a decision to make. They can obey God's word and become a part of God's story, or they can remain outside the realm of God's salvation working in the dark. They could stay fearful, or they could become the first faithful witnesses. And so they go, and do you see there in verse 15, it says they began to say, and they kept on saying to one another is the sense of it. Did you know the church is a community of people who have heard the gospel story, and then we keep on saying to one another, let's go. Let's go see Jesus. Let's go find out what God has done. Let's go see what God is doing. There could have been one negative Nancy in there, right? Well, I'm not so sure. But then everybody's like, no, let's just go. And that's why you need a church, by the way, and not just to be out there on an island because you're going to have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month at work and you're going to get all draggy and then you're going to come in on Sunday morning or Wednesday night discipleship group and somebody's going to say, hey, I know all that is true in your life, but God loves you and we've got good news. Let's go. That's the church. So the shepherds say, let's go see this thing that has happened. The word thing there is the word that means word or utterance. The shepherds understand the promises of God will not be thwarted. Isaiah 55:11, My word which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. The shepherds perceive that God is doing something, that all those promises down through the centuries using a little shepherd boy and making him king and now bringing his message to the shepherds. God's word isn't just doing something in Jesus, it's doing something in the sending of Jesus in their hearts. And so they go. And in verse 16, they find exactly what the angels said they would find. They see Jesus laying in a manger. Mary and Joseph were also there. It's interesting to me, I, I, I was always growing up referred to as my mother or father's son. But when you... When you get references to Jesus later in Luke 2, uh, Mary and Joseph are Jesus' parents. All right, Jesus is the focus here. The Lord had told Mary and Joseph who their son would be. They knew that He was the Son of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit, sent to save people from their sins, to be God's King forever. But how could they tell anybody? You know those little bumper stickers you put on the back of your car? My, my child is an honor student at Burlington Elementary School. I mean, what were they going to get? They're going to get a donkey sticker that said, My kid is the long-awaited, appointed, sinless Son of God, sent to save His people, conquer the enemies of God, and reign forever as King. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. Who would have believed them anyway? And so God sent a messenger to some despised shepherds toiling in the darkness and compelled them to come and see what God has done. God is like that. He loves to rescue people whose story is going absolutely nowhere and then adopt them as His child and make them a part of His story. So this morning, if you don't know God, if you don't know the joy of being brought out of the darkness through the story of the Gospel, I want to encourage you with all that's within me to repent of your sin. Turn away from trying to make it on your own and trust in Jesus and let Him make much of your life. 
and put you to work in sharing the story. Which brings us to our third point. We've got to hear the message, we've got to receive the message, and we know they received the message because they went. And then finally, we've got to see Jesus and make known to others what the Lord has made known to us. I love how verse 17 starts, when the shepherds had seen Him. In verse 15, we're told the Lord had made known to them the birth of Jesus and His significance. But when the shepherds see Jesus for themselves, they are then compelled to go and make known to others what God had made known to them. And I'm here to tell you that that God is still in the business of leading people to encounter and see Jesus. You say, well, I can't see Jesus physically. I understand that. That's not what I mean. But when you hear the gospel and you see that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and the Savior has been provided, he, God opens, supernaturally opens your spiritual eyes to behold Christ and to want to magnify Him and glorify Him and then make Him known to others. Church, when your blind eyes are open to the greatness of Jesus, I'm here to tell you that like the shepherds, your mouth is going to know about it. And your mouth is going to want to declare it. Once Jesus conquers the graves and the grave and commissions his disciples, do you remember they try to shut them down? We have Pentecost, Peter starts preaching, John starts preaching, and they're like, you can't preach that stuff, this resurrection stuff. And you remember what Peter and John say in Acts chapter 4? We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And I'm here to tell you, church, once you behold Jesus, once you know who he is and what he has done, you've got to tell the story. It doesn't matter what the president says. It doesn't matter what Congress says. It doesn't matter what your local governing authorities say. It doesn't matter if COVID's in town. You cannot help but speak what you've seen and heard. And so it must be with the church. We've been commissioned like the shepherds, the outsiders, the people who didn't have a stake with God's people. He made us His people through the blood of His Son, which means we have seen Christ, we've encountered Christ. Why? To go and tell a story. In a world full of stories that can't satisfy, that end up bankrupt, we have the one story that truly satisfies, the story of good news, of great joy, that does not disappoint. In the shepherds, we have a preview of coming attractions. God isn't just going to commission shepherds, He's going to commission once Jesus is dead and buried and raised, He's going to commission those fishermen that He called out. He's going to commission even tax collectors. He's going to commission plumbers and professors and printers and pastors and painters and police officers and publishers and people from every legitimate profession under the sun. And get this, He's even going to commission people who right now are engaged in illegitimate professions. Dealers and users People getting bread to eat by the misuse of their own bodies. People walking in darkness will see a great light. (laughs) If we'll tell them. The reason that God saves us through His Son is so that we might share them with still more who are working and walking in darkness. And when we do, there will be a variety of responses, right? Some will reject our message. And I praise God that our responsibility is not the response of those that we share with. Our responsibility is to share. And in this case, verse 18, we see everybody that heard the story, they were amazed. 
And you say, well, that's a great thing that they were amazed. Well, it can be a great thing. In the Gospels, sometimes when people are amazed at Jesus, they go on to trust in Jesus. But being amazed at Jesus is actually very dangerous. Because more often than not in the Gospels, people are amazed at Jesus, but they never move on to saving faith in Jesus. They never actually trust. You see, church, it's not enough to be fascinated by Jesus. We've got to have faith in Jesus. And it's great when people come into the church for the first time or come online for the first time. And they're like, well, I want to hear this gospel story. And they hear it and they're interested in it and they're like, that was cool. Or they had a nice song or I really like that solo or the preacher had a decent illustration or he's a good speaker or he's really animated with his hands. And so I'll check that out for a couple months and then I'll move on to the next thing to be fascinated by. But I'll never actually turn over my life to God and say, make of me what you will. My whole life is yours. Forgive my sin clean my conscience, make me new, I'm going to live for my king. And I'm concerned that in the church today, there's a lot of people sitting in pews and checking out online services, and they're really just trying to be fascinated, but they've never had saving faith. You can get a crowd with a lot of fascinating stuff, do a bunch of promos and giveaways and all this stuff that's happening in evangelical America today, but people need Jesus. Not just to be amazed by a show. They need to have saving faith. And the example of saving faith is not all those people who are amazed. It's Mary. What does Mary do? She doesn't keep looking for the next story or the next attraction or the next thing that's next Sunday or the next promo or the next Facebook feed. She treasures the one story that is true that she needs to have. She treasures the gospel. She treasures her king. Do you see it there? She treasured these things. All the other stories, all the other things, the shepherds, all this stuff going on. She treasured the gospel. She pondered it in her heart, which means that she kept on thinking about the story of the gospel. This is what we do every week at North Roanoke. I preach the gospel just from a different place in the Bible. We just treasure all the facets of the gospel so we'll better understand who we were without Christ, who we are in Christ, and how amazing Christ is. That's all we're going to do as long as God allows me to be your pastor. We're just going to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, treasure the gospel, ponder the gospel, because Jesus is our hope, and that is good news of great joy. And she ponders it. Which, the, the sense of the word to ponder is not like, oh, I'm going to think about it and I don't understand it. It's to, it's to meditate with divine aid that God, as we meditate on the gospel day and night, that He gives us even greater understanding of who Jesus is and how amazing our saving God is. Church, when we share, some will reject the message, some will be amazed, but some will turn from their sin and trust in God and ponder the gospel day in and day out, until the king returns. So how do we respond? First, I've been convicted this year, recently, that it's really time for us to become a people of prayer. <laughs> 2021 at North Roanoke is going to be a year of prayer for lost people. And I'm going to ask every single one of you who knows Jesus Christ to make a list of lost people that you know that in 2021 you could share the gospel with or at least invite to church. 2021 is going to be a year of praying for lost people. You say, well, 
how many people can I put on my list? You, you put as many lost people as you think you can share the gospel with or invite to church in 2021. I actually want you to write it down in your smartphone. Just get your phone out. You can do it even right now if you want. You say, well, I don't, I don't have that many. I mean, there's one lady at work that I might be able to share with. Would you put her name down? And if at the end of the day you say, I have no person that I could put on a list that I feel like I could share the gospel with in 2021, here's what I want to say to you. Figure it out before the end of the year. Seriously. That's why we're here. That's why he left us here. When, when Stacy and I moved to seminary, we, moved, we could have lived in seminary housing for about a half the cost of what it costs for us to live outside of seminary housing. Why did we do that? Because we weren't there just to save money. We were there to share the gospel. And so we moved into a community where I got to share the gospel with a Wiccan and a drunk and a lady who had a lot of boyfriends, if you understand what I'm saying. God sent me to Raleigh for one man. His name's Paul. He's an alcoholic. And the first time I met him, he said, we can talk about anything except the gospel. Near the last conversation we had in Raleigh, he repented of his sin and trusted in Jesus. And we stay in communication about God's word. And he's actively involved in a church to this day. Who's your one? Every Christian should have at least one that they can begin to share the gospel with. Some of you are afraid to share. That's normal. So, I want to make you this offer. You say, well, I, I don't know who I'd share with. First, figure that out. And then if you're afraid, I'll train you. Email me, text me. We'll take a couple hours together and we'll walk through how to share the gospel. But I want to give you an intro line right now. You ready for it? Here's, here's an easy way to crack the ice on sharing the gospel. Hey! Would you mind, I, we've, been, we've been friends now for like 100 years, and, and uh, we, we talk about hooky football and the decline of the program and all this other stuff, but I was wondering if you would mind, if, if I could have about five to seven minutes to tell you a brief story about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Hey, would you mind if I told you a brief story about the greatest thing that ever happened to me? Nobody's ever declined me when I've asked them that question. Then you just tell them your testimony at the end. You say something like this. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Just tell them your story. I was dead. I was a sinner. I was a druggie. I had no purpose. Whatever, whatever your story is, Jesus came into my life, and now my life isn't perfect, but I know my sins are forgiven, and I'll live with him forever. Has anything like, like that ever happened to you? And then finally, put yourself in places where you're going to get to share. If you don't have one, then figure out how to go somewhere where there will be one, this morning, I, I don't know what your need is. I don't know if you, like the shepherds, I know you've now heard the message, but I don't know if you've received the message. I don't know if you've gone and seen Jesus, turned from your sin and encountered Him by faith. This morning, if that's your need, as our musicians come, uh, that will be your opportunity as we stand and sing our final song. You can, you can repent of your sin and behold Christ and be enlisted in the greatest mission ever. And for others of you, you might say, you know, I've just been kind of coasting in my Christian life. I haven't been thinking intentionally about who I should pray for, who I could share with, but, but God brought to my mind that one person or that, that two or three or four people, and I just want to come dodge the poinsettias this morning, and I, I want to kneel at this altar, and I want to pray for my family member, my coworker, my friend. I, 
Some of you, you've asked me to pray for your family members. I, I could name them by name. And I praise God for that. Others of you, I don't know who you're praying for, but God does. Maybe you just want to come and bring them afresh to the altar today and say, you know what? 2021, I'm praying like never before that God would move and He would save my brother or my sister or my aunt or my cousin or my coworker, my neighbor, my friend. Whoever you need to pray for, we invite you to come. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, there's a lot in this world that is competing for our attention. There's a lot in this world that is able to distract us. And God, speaking for myself, I confess, I need to be more intentional. I need to be more focused. I need to be more deliberate. God, I, I pray for the one that you've, you've placed in my heart. God, I, I pray that you would bring them to saving faith, that you would remove my fear and my anxiety, and that you would give me liberty to share the gospel. And God, I know there's got to be people in this room who, who feel the same way. God, I pray you'd give them liberty to, to bring them afresh. God, burden our hearts for the lost. And remind us that hope is in this world for one reason. We've got the true story of the whole world that we can share with those who need to hear it. And God, if there's anyone here today that's not, not found life through faith in Jesus, bring them today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.